0: 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness.
1: 5, 4, 3, 2,
0: 1. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Welcome into the Mass and Web Studio. Bobby Blanco, Amy Jennings coming at you live for the Mass Nationals All Access Podcast. That's a different way I phrase it that time, but here we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got a busy week this week, actually. We have a lot more to talk about than we originally thought, but Amy, first of all, how was your three-day weekend?
1: I kind of forgot it was a three-day weekend. We right. came in and taped an interview on Monday, and you know, like, usually in baseball, everybody's like, Oh, we get the winter holidays Mm -hmm. mostly, unless the nationals do anything crazy uh, because it's not baseball season. But most of the holidays that are like government holidays and stuff like that, it's like, I kind of forget about it because it's not like it's a holiday to us. Um, But I guess it was good. I went home. It was my niece and nephew's birthday party. They're three years, two years apart, but they say twins. No, but they have the same birthday.
0: Okay. Well that's which
1: fun. and their mom, so my sister in law has the same birthday as her sister as well. Isn't wow. It is weird.
0: It's really weird. Okay, so then on my side of the family, my dad and his dad had the same birthday and they were also the same name and ju- you know, senior, senior junior. junior. And then um on my mom's side, her younger brother and their mom had the same Oh really. The same birthday.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's weird. I've never it's really so heard of it happening before yeah. that, but
0: between um, the th- two of us, there's like four people with, or four that, yeah. pairs of family members. That's like, crazy. That's pretty wild.
1: I'm like, well, you guys could have planned this a little bit better. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. So that was good. That good to nice. see them. How, yeah. was, how was your weekend? Uh,
0: I mean, yeah, kind of same. We don't really, I mean, from the national side, there wasn't real, real news coming out except for Friday. And on Sunday during the day, which we knew was coming right. prepared for. Uh, we'll talk about in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it was, I see some friends. Um, Celebrate! I, I, I had some friends that had some birthdays last week. My wife's birthday is now on Friday,
1: oh, okay. Um,
0: and I'm actually going to go see Wicked tonight.
1: Oh, They're awesome. playing at the
0: Kennedy Center. We got tickets for my in-laws, Megan's parents, for Christmas, and now it's kind of like a, a late Christmas present, early birthday kind of little double date nice. we're going on. I know. I've never seen Wicked. I'm really excited. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, ha- has your wife? Has Megan? Oh,
0: that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speak for her. I, I'm sure her parents have. Her parents are pretty big theater people. Okay. Or, you know, they've been to the theater. Before, like <laughs> yeah. probably more than we have. I mean, I, I enjoy like musicals and stuff like that. It's just, I've always wanted to see Wicked, I just never had the chance. That's cool. So, That'd yeah, am so pretty pumped. Um, you know, off season things. As yeah. Things you can't do during the oh, season. Yeah. But now no since No chance in you seeing
1: Wicked in the middle
0: of July. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> July 31st. Ooh, that's the
1: bad day uh. for us.
0: <laughs> um, but thank you so much for tuning in. Make us a part of your uh, Wednesday afternoon. If you're tuning in live on the Mass Nationals Facebook page or YouTube channel, be sure to comment along throughout the course of the show. And if not, Checking us out after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Wherever you subscribe to the Mass and All Access Podcast, you can find us. And hopefully you get every single new episode as they are dropped. All right, like I said at the top of the show, we actually have a lot to discuss. I mean, for it being mid-January, there is mm-hmm. a good amount of baseball to discuss as it relates to the Nationals from this past weekend. Um, Friday was the deadline to... Uh, tender contracts or, or, or exchange figures on, for arbitration-eligible players. Um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're, the main focus is going to be this new international signing class mm-hmm. that's signed on Sunday afternoon, um, including Ilian Soto, Juan's little brother. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about some of the top international prospects in the national system right now um, and how they've been successful during that avenue over the past couple of years. But some quick housekeeping note. Uh, because we touched on it a little bit last week and it came down yesterday. Andres Machado did clear waivers, as we expected, was outright at AAA Rochester. He was DFA'd last week when the Nationals signed Corey Dickerson. Um, So that's kind of the move that we expected. Uh, You know, We we speculated why he was the one. We were kind of surprised that he was the one that got DFA'd uh, when they signed Dickerson uh, because of how strong he finished the season. Uh, 334 ERA, 1365 whip over 59 and a third innings during the whole course of the season, but finished 19 and two-thirds straight scoreless innings over his last 17 outings, including six unearned runs, um, but did not count toward his ERA. But we figured Mike Rizzo's thought process was DFA him now because it's more likely that he goes unclaimed uh, in the middle of January than if he did in the middle of March.
1: Yeah, kind of thought maybe they would opt to DFA somebody like a Corey Abbott or a player like that, not Andres Machado who went didn't allow an earned run in his last 17 appearances of last season, but he was out of options. He didn't mm. really provide any roster flexibility um, for the Nationals, so I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh, he ended up clearing waivers, so, you know, not really a huge deal. You had to make room for Corey Dickerson, clears waivers, you still have Andres Machado.
0: And then, so that's just a small housekeeping note from, from yesterday as, we, like I said, kind of how we expected it to go. Um, nothing more to see here. We'll move on. He'll get an invite to spring training and try to make the team, once again, basically as a, as a minor league uh, invite. Um, all right, so then the bigger news over the weekend, we're going to split this pot up into two sections, the arbitration deadline day and then international signing period. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nationals went into, they, on their roster, they had 10 guys eligible for arbitration. And if you don't know, that means you have more than three years of major league experience, but less than six. Um, unless you're a super two, which we'll need to go into that. Cause I don't think any of these guys qualified as super twos. Um, Eric Fetty and Luke Voigt were non-tendered before the deadline to tender contracts back in November. So they're no longer on this roster. Um, and then, um, of the players that the Nationals signed as free agents, Jamir Candelario and Dominic Smith were arbitration eligible. But again, this process is just trying to agree on a salary mm-hmm. for this season. No one's getting cut yet. No one's getting traded yet. Right. Um, this is just to determine a salary for the 2023 season. And of course, when Candelario and Smith signed their deals, they already agreed upon that. So they did not have to go through this process. Candelario, $5 million this year. Dominic Smith, $2 million this year. And then Tanner Rainey and Ildemar Vargas, all. Also had already agreed to terms for this year. $1.5 million for Rainey, 975000 for Vargas going into 2023. That left six arbitration-eligible guys heading into Friday. The Nationals agreed to terms with five of them, Victor Robles being the one guy who did not agree to terms.
1: Yeah, and ar- arbitration, it's always, you know, a little bit tricky because it's, you know— you saying you you think you're at this amount you know this is how much value i have and then the team coming back and being mm-hmm. like and eh, no we don't value that much so it kind of creates for a little bit of a divide it's kind of unfortunate that it's Victor Robles where there's already probably a little bit of a divide since he fell off of an offensive cliff after 2019 um, you know since the beginning of 2020 as a 291 on base percentage a 306 slugging and an OPS plus 31 points below average, so he has struggled mightily, and I think, you know, going to arbitration hearings is only going to create a further divide between Victor Robles and the future of the Nationals.
0: Now, they were in a similar situation last year. They did not come to terms, but they never actually went to a hearing. They were able to agree to a contract um, for the 2022 season before that arbitration hearing. Last year, Robles was seeking $2.1 million. The Nats counted at 1.6. They ended up settling at $1.65 million, so he only got $50,000 more more uh, to what the Nationals had originally offered in that negotiation process. Um, real quickly, we're going to run through the guys who did agree before we talk more about Robles, just so the numbers and everything is out there. I know it's going to be a lot of numbers. It's hard to keep track. You want to go back? Mark Zuckerman and I had kept track of all of this stuff mm-hmm. going on on Friday. Mark had a good write-up about Robles on Sunday after Sunday morning, so you can always go back and check out these figures. Um, but uh, Hunter Harvey agreed to terms. We don't know the exact figure yet. Mob Trade Rumors projected he would get $1 million this year. Carl Edwards Jr. agreed at a reported $2.25 million. Victor Orano agreed to a reported nine $925,000. Kyle Finnegan agreed to report $2.325 million. And then Lane Thomas, $2.2 million reported in his agreement. Um, and then, again, so this year, Robles, how this process works is each the team submits a number. The player either agrees or counters with another number and then negotiations take place. You don't come to terms. You can keep negotiation uh, throughout uh, the next, what, two months or so. And I think an arbitration hearing happens in late February, maybe early March, Um, if you don't agree agree by then, Um, so Robles filed at two point six this time. The Nats offered two point three million. Um, That's only a three hundred thousand dollar difference, but which was way different than they were definitely further apart last year when this process went up. But like you said, offense slipped off. Defense was better this year than we've seen in the past, but that offense is keeping him down and, and keeping him from earning money. I think it's also interesting this time. And and Mark laid this out really nicely in his article on Sunday morning. But you know, last year is, it was different because the Nationals didn't really have anyone in place to overtake Robles or kind of like waiting in the wings uh, to, to to be Victor Robles' backup uh, going into 2022. That's not really the case this year. Robert Hassel the third is, while not cl- not exactly major league ready, could be major league ready by the end of this season. Um, I know he didn't perform very well in the national system between Wilmington and Harrisburg late last year, but maybe chalk that up to getting used to a new team, new organization. If he gets a full regular spring training this year, probably starts out at Harrisburg again this year. Maybe it works his way up at AAA. He could be major league ready by the end of the season. And then you got guys like James Wood, um, Christian Vaccaro, um, Elijah Green. Those guys are a little further along, of course, but they're still top prospects waiting coming up soon. The Nationals might not be as tied to Victor Robles this time next year as they were last year.
1: This Victor Robles... SAG is going to come to an end eventually because of those names that you just mentioned I think if any of them were close to major league level this would be a completely different conversation you mentioned Robert Hassel III not quite major league ready Um, if there was somebody directly waiting in the wings to take over Victor Robles starting center field spot this would be a completely different conversation Mm -hmm. but I think because none of those guys are particularly major league ready they didn't go out and get a center fielder this year you know didn't haven't traded Victor Robles um, you're going to hear the same things once they reach an agreement goes to hearings they reach an agreement it's going to be the same conversation that it is every year and that they're going to say you know you know Victor Robles if he improves his offense he has a real shot to be our starting center fielder it's going to be the same thing he still has the the defense is still there Uh, you know the speed is still there like it always has been it's going to be those same kind of conversation just because it has to be because there's nobody there to take a spot. Right. He's not
0: a free agent until after the 2024 season. Right. So next year, this time next year would be his last season of being arbitration eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're like, you said like there's, there's going to be a lot less, wiggle room for him this year than, and again, we've having years and we've had this conversation about Victor Robles going into the season. Well, is this the year he turns it around? Is this year he becomes the player he's supposed to be? The nationals probably aren't going to be as tied to him this time next year. I mean, he's going to be probably the, if he doesn't perform well, or if it's just more of the same, the number one candidate like Eric Fetty was this past year to be non-tendered in November. And then, you know, he just becomes a free agent and is going to have to go look for another place somewhere else because the Nationals are going to be like, look, we've got guys that are coming up. We've got guys that we're going to be the next wave. of, You know, you at this point, 25 will be 26 in May. A former top prospect that didn't pan out. I mean, wh- they just don't have any reason to be tied down to him anymore. So, we have all of these outfielders coming up in their top five, top 10.
1: Right. It'd be different if they had somebody on the major league roster that could start in center field, and Victor Robles could be an extra outfielder, you know, that you bring in because of his defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really have that option right now. So, next year is going to be a completely different conversation uh, for Victor Robles, or maybe they can get something out of him and they'll be able to trade him before he reaches free agency.
0: Finished with a 224 batting average, a career worst, 273 on base percentage, and career worst. 584 OPS. That was the second lowest among all National League players with at least 400 plate appearances. Now, he was a gold glove finalist. He turned his defense around. Uh, 12 defensive runs saved. Uh, that helped get his baseball reference war uh, back up into positive territory for the first time since 2018 at 1.8. Not a lot, but still, you know, improvement defensively, and that helps his case.
1: Right. There's. It's no secret that Victor Rebles' defense saves him. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, if, if he couldn't play defense it'd Be bye bye, Victor Robles. Because,
0: right, I mean, if we if he played defense this past year like he did in 2020 and 2021, mm-hmm. he probably would have been non-tendered with Eric Betty. Right. Um, but because his defense was so much improved, because he was a goal-love finalist, all right, fine, we'll we'll pay not even two point, not even two and a half million to you for one more season. And, and the, honestly, last chance, this has to be the last chance, right? Because anything that was similar to what we've seen last year, even as that was a quote-unquote improvement. That's still not enough to warrant him coming back for one more season. I just foresee him being darn tendered easily. He has to prove that he is worth staying around for one more year. Or maybe, I mean, I guess a lot of things could happen. Like maybe Robert Hassel doesn't get close. Maybe James Wood um, doesn't get close. Uh, and, you know, uh, Christian Caro and um, um, Elijah Green are Way still, yeah, down. teenagers yeah. that aren't, you know, haven't even debuted at low A ball yet. So they're still really far away. But, maybe that's the case and that's the argument being okay fine we'll do one more year but i just think that's unlikely and
1: you could already feel like there were moments of divide throughout the season with victor robles and this team and like the whole clown shirt thing and (laughs) davy martinez not being too happy about that like there were some moments where davy martinez was pretty outspoken about Mm -hmm. being unhappy with victor robles which is going to come you know if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing on the field, anything you do off the field is going to be, you know, there's going to be issues. Uh, So it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, this is, they couldn't reach an agreement, you know, this goes to hearings, but it is what it is. It's just a part of the process.
0: So let's take the free agent deals in Candelaria. I don't know if you saw me tweet about this over the weekend. All right, let's see this. I don't think so. Um, at Blanco at Amy Jennings News. Uh, let's take the free agent deals in Candelario and Dominic Smith, the reported salaries that were agreed upon, uh, MLB trade rumors projection for Hunter Harvey, and let's just say the Nationals end up giving Robles the $2.6 million that he filed for. Adding that up, doing some quick math, the Nationals are at, probably at most spending $20.775 million on 10 arbitration-eligible guys. And if you guys didn't see over the weekend... Juan Soto is going to make $23 million on his own. And that right yeah, there, in a nutshell, <laughs> is the, the major reason why they traded yep. him at the deadline. I mean, he did, did turn down their long-term deal. The Nationals said, we're not going to be able to afford him. You know, the ownership situation is still up in the air. Um, we're not going to be able to afford him. You know, we have to get the most value from him. And now they're going to pay 10 guys less than Juan Soto is going to make on his own with the Padres. Now, that's two franchises in different situations, right? Like the Padres can afford to do that. They are, I mean, I guess that goes to show Juan Soto's value as his own player, you know, how great he is. But, you know, the Padres are still chasing a championship. The Nationals are chasing a championship two, three, four, five years down the line now. So it just makes more sense that you can allocate all that money to 10 different guys right now. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't going to be here for the long term, but they're filling out your roster right now. Um, and you're still paying less than $23 million to one player.
1: Yeah, you'd be paying over $2 million more to just one player, um, which we it's proven that he can't turn the team around. And Juan Soto is going to have to have a whole lot better of a year. I mean, yeah, we get it. He's Juan Soto. He's probably going to be worth that in the end. But he struggled mightily once he got mm-hmm. to the Padres. So he's going to really have to turn things around. I was kind of surprised he was able to make that much in arbitration this
0: year. Yeah, I mean, and this again goes back to why Juan Soto was never gonna sign yeah. an extension before hitting if free you can agency
1: make that much? I mean,
0: this was only his second year. Right? Uh, he's gonna have he's well, gonna go through this process two more seasons yep. before he hits a free agency, and whatever that last number is, is gonna be his baseline for his average annual salary for whatever major major it's contract crazy. he signs as a free agent. I mean, this is why Scott Boris has always said, "Don't do not sign." You know, g- assuming that you stay healthy and it's not a career-ending injury. Knock on wood for you, Juan. But you are going to make an absurd amount of money yeah. when you hit free agency. Just because that's how the process, the process benefits the player in the situation.
1: And, you know, for the Nationals, most of the players on that list, Victor Robles and Lane Thomas, the exception, were bullpen arms. Mm. Uh, proven bullpen arms that had pretty good seasons this year. So those are guys that the Nationals are able to be bring back for pretty cheap yeah. um, compared to what they were going to owe – You know, Eric Fetty in arbitration, Luke Voigt in arbitration. It makes sense to get these cheaper, get more depth, um, you know, versus what the Padres and other teams are able to do.
0: I I, I know Nationals fans don't like hearing this right now. I mean, uh, some portion of you guys understand it like like I do. I, I get that. But, you know, you do see the fans that are upset being like, you know, go get a top tier free agency. But this is what I mean, like this team is not going to win a lot of games this year mean, you hope for an improvement, of course, but they're just, and then this is why, and this this is how you allocate all that money. You would rather pay low salaries to 10 players as opposed to one large salary to one other, one specific player, and then still have to fill out a competitive roster.
1: Yeah, Chad Brinkman commented, the Nats are not rebuilding, national owners are just cheap. Um, They haven't really been cheap <laughs> uh, in their existence. So I I don't think that's true right now. It might seem like that, but this is definitely a part of rebuilding. It's what every rebuilding team has done. You have to do it. You have to go through years like this, or you're going to end up looking really stupid.
0: (laughs) I mean, look at the other, I mean, I I always make this comparison, but because they're right up the road, it's so easy. Look at the Orioles. They had one of the lowest payrolls in all of baseball for years. Then they were games away from making the playoffs last year. And then baseball America came out today and they have eight of the top hundred prospects. Right. So they are built to win for the long term right now while having a low payroll. It's doable. The Nationals did it the other way for years. You can argue that maybe years. they
1: paid, paid the wrong people. Sure. Uh, but those deals didn't come cheap. That sure. Steven Strasburg deal's not coming cheap. you know. Decided yeah. Max Scherzer, that didn't come cheap.
0: Yeah. So it, it's, you know, that's the way that gonna the that's going to be. It's a sign of the, the, the times. It's not, it is a sign of the times. Is that a Harry Styles reference? <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, okay. Never mind.
1: Uh,
0: um, all right. Well, speaking of Baseball America, Baseball America did release their top 100 real quick. We I don't have the full rundown of what their you know breakdowns of these four players, but the Nationals did have four players ranked in Baseball America's top 100. James Wood coming at number 11 overall, which is very impressive. Mm-hmm. James had a very strong. Uh, finished of the year last year at Fredericksburg, um, helped them in the playoffs. Uh, so uh, he's cracking the top 11 right there. Um, but then kind of a fallback, Robert Hassel third, 57, Elijah Green, 58, and Cade Cavalli, 61. Uh, his injury at the end of the season probably doesn't right. help at all. Um, if, if Cade pitches better throughout the course of that last month, I'm sure he's ranked much higher. But Nationals have four of Baseball America's top 100 prospects. Um, and those are your guys that you see in MLB Pipeline's top four for the Nationals it's in different order. But it, those just seem to be the top four guys.
1: Three of those names were not in this organization at this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just goes to show you just how much improvement the Nationals have been able to make over the past year, whether it is in the draft or, you know, via trade. Um, make improvements to their farm system and you see it right here.
0: Yep. And that's the process, right? And that's the yep. way. it's going to be. The other part of that process is the international free agent market, what, which we'll get into right now. Um, the Nationals signed 14 players. Uh, I believe it's from Dominican Republic, Colombia, and Venezuela, or mm-hmm. the four, three different countries. Um, Elian Soto is the headliner right here. Now he's not a top prospect in this class. Um, But if you remember last year, it was reported uh, locally too by the Washington city paper that he actually flipped his commitment from the Mets to the nationals. And of course this is when his brother was still a national. Um, And it seems like the Juan Soto trade to, San Diego didn't affect Ilian's decision to keep signing mm-hmm. with the Nationals. That relationship stayed strong. Juan was at the facility. I think that was their Dominican Republic Academy, um, baseball academy. Juan was at that facility with Ilian when he signed. saw all the pictures on social media, which was really cool. Um, Ilian is a power bat from the left side of the plate. Um, he looks pretty strong there. He's not a strong defense. He was listed as a third baseman slash outfielder last year. I thought it was interesting. The nationals listed him as an outfielder this year. So it looks like his body's forming more like wands where he'll fit in the corner outfielder, a power lefty bat. But like I said, he's not a top prospect. In this class, he was not ranked in any top 50s by either Baseball America or MLB Pipeline. Um, but it's still interesting, cool story that Juan Soto's little brother still signs with the Nationals. Right.
1: I mean, international scouting is not easy, and a lot of it has to do with the relationships that you build and, you know, different areas, in this case with a certain family. I mean, Elian Soto was around the organization quite a bit while Juan was in this organization. So they obviously have an established good relationship with that family, and it it was I think there's I mean I at least thought you know is there any chance that he's he flips again with juan, juan being gone mm-hmm. um, but that's good that they have this established relationship and they were able to get him uh kind of crazy that they have uh they signed three guys that are in the top 50 international prospects, but it seems like Elian still is going to be the biggest name because he's Juan's brother because <laughs> he's Juan br- and
0: because he flipped from the Mets honestly because right. like, it was a very public Thing that came out that he was gonna intended to sign with the Mets, you know, if you were pictures and videos of him in Mets gear, and then all of a sudden he's in Nationals gear,
1: and you don't see that a whole lot, or it's not you know broadcasted a whole lot, just because you know most of these guys they've been targeting for quite a few years, and it's like Mm -hmm. you know when you turn sixteen, this you know it's it they've had connections with these particular guys for a while. So the bigger names like that, you don't see them flip too often uh, because it's kind of a done deal before it's a done deal.
0: So the Nationals were in a group of 10 teams that were allotted $5.284 million to sign international free agents. Ilian Soto reportedly is going to sign um, for a $225,000 signing bonus, an additional $200,000 for a scholarship grant, which I'm not exactly quite sure what that means, but I'm guessing that means they'll continue his education right. um, while he's, at the Dominican Republic um, baseball academy for the Nationals, um, before he moves up into you know the lower levels of the minor league system. So that's pretty cool that the Nationals mm-hmm. do that, um, but a very low signing bonus compared to what other people got. Um, and here's interesting. And I wrote about this on MassonSports.com this morning. You know, for the past two years, the Nationals have broken their own club records for handing out a single bonus to a single player. I think I believe it was 1.6 two years ago to uh, Armando Cruz, and then last year it was. a shattered record to Christian Vaccaro, who was considered the top prospect of last year's class this year. They don't hand out anything higher than, I think it was 1.3 million um, for their two, two of their prospects. Uh, And then they were able to get three guys in the top 50 as opposed to just one.
1: Yeah. In, in the nationals, you know, they've kind of established a pattern where their signings are really front loaded. So they go after the top one, Two in in Christian McCarron's case, a four point nine two five million dollar club record, Um, and then they kind of you know go a little bit cheaper with Mm -hmm. the rest of their international signing class. The exception of that was in two thousand sixteen when they went all in. They had two point three. Um, million dollars in in pool money and they ended up spending 5 million to 19 players. Uh, the penalty for that is in the next two seasons you can't sign any player for over $300,000 so they kind of went all in in 2016 but that was an exception you mentioned the years um, that they've continued their pattern and gone after one big guy um, and, and gone cheaper the rest of the way. This year was an, an exception and I don't know if that's a sign of the fact that they're, they weren't big in on any of the top prospects whether it's because they're selling the team and you know they're not spending a whole lot of money, or maybe it's because historically the Nationals have picked in the back end of the first round, had lower draft picks, so they go after the top talent in the international market versus this this last year, this year, for the next few years, they're going to have a much higher pick, so maybe they're not making as big of a splash in the international
0: market. Yeah, that's a super interesting point. I wonder if that played a factor in that. And I mean, like you said too, it also a lot of it depends on relationships, right? Johnny DePuiglia heads up that uh, department in the Dominican Republic and all their international scouting. So he's the one and his scouts are the ones that are creating these relationships with these players. And their. I mean, remember, these kids are, at the time that they're meeting Johnny and his scouts, these kids are like 14, 15 right. years old. So, you know, and then you come up with the next couple of years. I mean, these kids are very young and I guess impressionable is not the right word. that like has a kind of negative connotation, but you know, like, you know, they oh, yeah. they probably are very loyal at that young age, you know, this is the guy that stood by me for the last three years. I want to sign with him. So that's a a major part of it. But yeah, I do wonder if, I mean, the ownership sale probably has a lot of effects across the board for this organization. So it probably has something to do with this. Um And then yeah, drafting high, you know, you're right. For the longest time, they didn't draft that high. So, you know, they went all in on, right. because again, it is a free agent market. It's not like the draft. You don't, it's not like, I talked a little bit about this before, but like, it's not like, you know, the Nationals get the first first dibs at the top prospect, you know, like or the second, you know, they'll have the second pick in the draft. It's it's a free-for-all down there with, the, with these kids. So, um, yeah, you can be more aggressive going after the top prospects because it is kind of a free-for-all, and you can spend a larger portion of your bonus pool money on one player, or you can choose to spread it out. And this time they chose to spread it out.
1: And, you know, there were talks when the new CBA came out that maybe they were going to implement right. in interna- an international draft. I think... Don't know how they would do it. It would take so long to try to piece that together. It is really a free for all, and there are definitely flaws. And you know, some of it's kind of sad. uh, Mm -hmm. You know what these players do and go through. Um, But you know, credit to the Nationals that they've been able to kind of reestablish themselves in this market. Because if you remember back in 2009, uh, before Mike Rizzo was took over as GM, they had the controversy with that Smiley Gonzalez, who was 20 years old, not 16 as everybody originally thought, and they had to whole revamp their Dominican Academy, their international relationships. And Johnny DePuglio was one of the first hirings that Mike Rizzo made when he was promoted to GM. So it's kind of been those two that have kind of led the way. And here you see it, the, this year's international signing class, uh, 14 players that the Nationals got.
0: Four pitchers, three infielders, a catcher, and six outfielders. And again, three of these guys are ranked in MLB Pipeline's top 50 international prospects list for this class. Shortstop Manuel Cabrera and shortstop Edwin Solano. And outfielder Andy Acevedo are your guys that were ranked in the uh, top 50. Before we get to those guys real quick, um, you know, I want to correct these numbers. Two years ago, they signed Armando Cruz for $3.9 million, and then last year they signed Christian Vaccaro for $4.925 million, almost $5 million, a major portion of their signing pool um, last year. But now this year, they had $5.284 million to sign players with. They signed these 14 guys. According to the reports I've seen, they've already uh, paid out $4.595 million to this class, which is Lower than they paid to Vaquero by himself last mm-hmm. year uh, with signings of $10,000 or less, not counting toward the pool. Uh, and so you got a larger class and maybe a deeper class. You got three guys. Let's talk about them right now who um, show like seem like they, you know, it's not just like I said, not just the one guy at the top of the list. These guys are in the bottom half of the top 50, uh, but they are. You know highly thought of guys, and the Nationals were able to get three of them, starting with Manuel Cabrera. He's a 16-year-old shortstop out of the DR, signed for $500,000 with MLB Pipeline's 39th-ranked prospect in this class. He was the highest-ranked by MOB Pipeline of the three, um, and scouting reports say he has great defensive abilities and a strong arm that can play any position in the infield.
1: Yeah, it's his defense that sticks out, and then Edwin Solano is the 46th-ranked prospect. He's another another 16-year-old shortstop, and let's like not forget how difficult it is to project 16-year-old talent. I mean, if these guys were coming from the United States, they'd still have two, three more seasons of high school ball. Right. Uh, and then they go to college, you know, so it, it's not easy to to project talent on these guys. And then let's not forget, they're going into the minor leagues now. So now it's the Nationals' job to kind of finish their development, whereas if they were in the United States, uh, their, their high school coaches, or, you know, whatever, would have kind of led Mm -hmm. the development the rest of the way. So that's kind of interesting. Um, Edwin Solano, no more for his bat than his defensive skills, plus raw power at the plate. And then the next one, or I guess Eddie, Andy, Andy, you say this. I'm saying
0: Acevedo. Acevedo. A c e v e d o. Acevedo. Okay,
1: is ranked um, a spot ahead at number forty five in MLB Pipeline's number thirty seventh ranked international pros- prospect according to Baseball America. He's an outfielder.
0: Ask the guy whose last name is Blanco I didn't that's pronounce him. all the Spanish <laughs> names. <laughs> yeah, Andy Acevedo. I mean, that's how I'm. I mean, it could be some. I, there's no accents on any of these guys' no, names, I so f- it's harder to. You kind of right. have to like spell it out straight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, seventeen years old. I'm looking at Cabrera and Solano. 16-year-old shortstops, and then you go to the Nationals' like top prospects. And we talked just earlier in this podcast that most of their top prospects are either pitchers or outfielders. But of the infielders, you got Brady House, who's also a shortstop for right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone's thinking he's going to move over to third base, but he's only 19 years old. And then Armando Cruz, Cruz, who we just discussed, is also 19 years old. Uh Brady House projected to make the majors at 2024. 20, uh, Cruz, 2025. So these are the next guys that you might see enter the prospect list and be competing with House and Cruz as some of the top infielder prospects that the Nationals have. And we've I think we talked on it a little bit last week. You know, the Nationals don't have a lot of depth up the middle anymore. You know, you got C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia at the major league level right now. Uh, but Brady House, with his back injury, he fell out of Baseball America's top 100 this today. We don't know his future right now. He's also probably likely going to move to third base at some point. So the Nationals need some depth up the middle. Again, these guys are going to be... They're 16 years old, so they are going to be far away. They might not even make the the minor leagues this year. Right. They might just stay in the Dominican probably as what Vaquero did last year. So, you know, they are still probably a year away from playing in the States. Either way, you're, you're getting top guys talent up the middle of the infield, um, to go along with some of these outfields that they signed to. And yes, Uh, what I just I messed it up already.
1: Uh,
0: Acevedo, Acevedo, uh, being one of them uh, who, uh, reportedly can play in the outfield. Um, he was ranked 45 baseball America ranked him 37. Um, $1.2 million from him, uh, left-handed bat, smooth swing, hits the all-field, uh, advanced approach, patient at the plate. Sound like anybody you know that came from the Dominican?
1: I don't know, maybe like Juan Soto. Juan Soto, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so that's a, a strong – I mean, and that's the kind of type that, you know, Giant Dupilio likes to, you know, patient right. at the plate, shows power, uh, control command the strike Especially zone.
1: 17 years old. Yeah. Uh,
0: there are scouts, the reports that I've seen have already said he has an advanced approach at, for his age, already at 17. So he might be one that could sh- shoot up the prospect lists um, in the years to come.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where these guys slot into the nationals' rankings. um They're a little bit lower down the ranking list and in international prospects as a whole. So, you know. Last year with Christian baquero you know he was going to be a top ring prospect in the mm-hmm. national system. Where these guys slot in, you know, who knows, but these are the top three names. Uh, two shortstops and an outfielder that the Nationals got in this international signing period. Right now, there's 12 players on the 40-man roster that came from the international market and 11 prospects in the Nationals' top 30 that signed as international free agents, whether they got them Jarland Susana via trade or the other ones that they signed themselves.
0: Yeah, Christian Vaccaro is one of the top guys um, r- right now. And uh, he's only 18 years old, like I said, he's ranked mm-hmm. number seven per MLB pipeline. His ETA is 2027, so still a ways away from him, but uh, scouts are very high on him. You mentioned Yarlan Susana, his ETA says 2025. He's 18 years old, we know he's got electric stuff. You and I saw him at Fredericksburg this mm-hmm. past year. Uh, he's ranked eighth as a right-handed pitcher. I, you know, he might be a candidate to make his debut sometime this year if he has a really strong season. Otherwise, probably 2024. I would disagree with that 2025 ETA. I guess you could be safe with him. But Jeremy De La Rosa had a strong year at Fredericksburg. 21 years old, the oldest guy of this group right now, outfielder. He ranked 10th Premier League pipeline at 2024 debut for him. And then Armando Cruz, who we just talked about, 11th ranked, shortstop, 19 years old, 2025 ETA. And Andrew Lara, who we, we don't talk a lot of, enough a lot, a right-handed pitcher, had a strong campaign at Fredericksburg. Not eye palping numbers, but he made 21 starts, 20 years old already, ranked 14th per MLB pipeline and ETA of 2024. So those are some of your top international prospects that the Nationals have in their system already. You know, you mentioned they traded for Garland Susana, but he was ranked in the top 50 of last year's class along with Vaquero. And he was one of the guys the Nationals were trying to get, but they committed so much money to Vaquero that they didn't have enough for Susana. And that's Mm -hmm. why Mike Rizzo was so adamant about including him in that Juan Soto trade. And that's why Josh Bell was included in that trade as well. And
1: everybody on that list were guys that the Nationals signed themselves were guys that made over a million dollars in in their signing bonus. Um, So it's good to see that the results have kind of come with the bigger signing bonus. Like we mentioned, they have a pattern of going after one big guy like Armando Cruz was the big signing in that uh, 2020-21 class. Andre Lahr was the big signing in 2019. He made over a million dollars, 1.25. So it's good to see that the guys that they are going after, the big big names, um, if you will, have produced a product on the field.
0: Yeah. We've talked about this a bunch, but it is hard to see their projections down the line because a lot of them are so far away still.
1: Well, and I get like the market has changed, but Juan Soto... Well, it made $1.5 million
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in 2015. I know the market's changed, you know, the price has gone up for these guys, but compare that to the $4 million that Christian Vaccaro got last season. Right. It's hard to, it's hard to project. It it's is. hard to predict talent.
0: I just might sort of well, like they're, these guys are all at the lower levels of the line. Like Hard again, project Vaquero, when they're going to debut. Vaquero hasn't even made to the oh, complex yeah. league in Florida yet. So it's like, yep. you know, that's why his ETA is literally four years Jeremy
1: away. Jeremy DeLover's is probably the closest of guys. Yeah, he
0: list. made to Wilmington this past year. Um, I and think in still, limited action, but yeah. still, you know. Far away. Yeah, and you would hope he makes it to double A this year Um, and, and has a strong campaign. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, then you're thinking about, okay. But you see all these guys, and, you know, they're 18, 19 years old. And then you see a guy like La Rosa, who's 21, you're like, what happened there? Why's it taking so long? I don't want to be, I think Nats fans might be a little spoiled in the sense that you, they saw Juan Soto debut at 18, Bryce Harbor debut at 18. I know different avenues of how you acquired, but they're like, well, why aren't they playing right now? And it's like, you know, it's not, those and are it's, superstars right now. I mean, they're, you're looking for contributors right, right
1: now. It's, and it's, it's an adjustment, not only, you know, adjusting to, you know, playing to this level of playing field of minor league baseball, but adjusting to coming to the United States. That's why most of them spend a year at the Dominican Academy or, you know, so that they can kind of adjust. They're six mm-hmm. babies, 16 yeah, babies. or 17 babies. years old. Uh, they're it. just babies. So it sometimes it does, you know, t- takes an adjustment period just for life. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. And, um, th- there are a ways away. I, this, I like this. I mean, you know, we can talk about whether or not they need to implement a draft or whatever. But, like, I like seeing a group of young players in because it is like, you know, the draft, Brady House, Kate Cavalli, you know, whoever, you're looking like all right, two or three years. When you're a top pick, Elijah Green, you're a top five pick. You know, you're projected to make the majors in two or three years. These guys, like you said, are babies. Mm -hmm. Maybe not making the majors for another four or five years and it's like that it's a really interesting way to build long term for the future and
1: it's cu- I which think, the Nationals desperately need to do right it'd be cool to see I think I think a draft would be good in a lot of ways because there does have to be more regulation uh, it's crazy how like underdeveloped this system is for how far we are along in Major League yeah. Baseball um, so that would help but it is good to see that teams you know it's purely on what you dedicate to your international resources mm-hmm. are the teams that are able to get these top guys it, it doesn't matter where you finish the last season and where you draft in that order or, you know, all of that. It's what you develop or you dedicate to this market is the outcome you're going to get. So it's cool to see teams like the Nationals, um, you know, finish last in baseball, but be able to make, you know, bigger splashes in the international market.
0: Yeah. And I made a comparison to the Orioles earlier, but this is an avenue that the Nationals have you know, always been ahead of not just the Orioles, but like multiple teams. It's oh, like yeah. them, the Dodgers, uh, the Padres have been really good. The Yankees, uh, you look at teams like now, like the Rangers who are getting better. The Orioles are getting better. I'm, we're just talking about this is a pretty big class in terms of national standards because they didn't spend a lot of money on one player, 14. The Orioles just signed 27 players and right. they got one guy in the top one, top 50, which is good for them, but they didn't for the longest time did not have an international department, right?
1: But now and so now they're trying
0: to play catch-up, and you have to sign 27 players at one time, and it's just an influx of talent. The Nationals are kind of already at that part where they're they're used to doing this and have done this before. Yeah,
1: and credit to them, because it shows you, you dedicate those resources, yeah. um, you're going to get, you know, you're going to reap the benefits, and that's why I always go back to the incident and when they found out about the player who was 20 years old and not 16, and it kind of, they had Mike Rizzo and Johnny DePuglia had to pull this international uh, department or whatever you have it out of the mud yeah um and they've really really done a good job since then
0: yeah um so you kind of i know you know this answer because i you, you liked my tweet on oh. uh, i think it was saturday or no, sunday whenever it was but mm-hmm. quick trivia question you know, that, that this was really interesting comment along um obviously if you listen to Long enough, you'll you'll hear the answer. I should have done this at the beginning of the episode and then gone that through that ends. conversation and and let it. But all right, when Juan Soto you mentioned he signed for one point five million out of the Dominican Republic back in twenty fifteen. Then was a Nationals record for a bonus given to a Latin American teenager. Um, when he signed, he was MLB Pipeline's twenty fifth ranked prospect of that class. Do you know what current Nationals farmhand? Was ranked sixth in that class, ahead of current stars like Soto and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. I think people will be surprised to know it was Lucius Fox. (laughs) Which all Lucius, which goes to kind of ties into this part of the conversation. Like you don't know what you're getting when you're signing these teenagers, Um, and you know it's you sign 14 guys right now. You hope one of them becomes serviceable major leaguer at one point. you know. It's just like, it is kind of a shot in the dark. It's a lot of scouting at a young age. I mean, yeah, it's like if you're signing you know, freshmen and sophomores in high school, man, sophomores and juniors in high school right now, you just don't know.
1: Right, but you start scouting them at that age, but you get to see two more years of development before you commit millions of dollars to them. Right. Whereas here, it's like, you're 16. Here we go. It's <laughs> almost $5 example. million dollars. Right.
0: and hopefully you turn out yeah. as a, as a top player. Uh, but yeah, Lucius Fox, uh, he was signed on his 18th birthday for $6 million by the Giants at the time was the most ever given to a non-Cuban international amateur. He was listed as a shortstop second baseman outfielder from the Bahamas. He actually played at American Heritage High School in Delray Beach, Florida, and made the rounds on high school circuits. Uh, scouts saying that he was actually going to be a part of the 2015 MLB draft, but he moved back with his family to the Bahamas, and Major League Baseball ruled him as an international free agent instead. And his scouting report labeled him as the best athlete in the 2015 international class. Um, And he stood out with plus-plus speed, which we know he has as a switch hitter, solid ability from both sides of the plate. Just to compare, Juan Soto, who again was ranked 25th, and Fernando Tatis Jr. was 30th in this class. Guerrero Jr., Vladdy Jr. was right behind um, Lucius Fox at number 7. Uh, Juan Soto scouting report: Late in minute, uh, one of the quote, one of the best hitters in this class. Sweet left-handed swing, advanced approach, while making repeated hard contact. Did not just say this about Andy Facito. Um, they projected him to develop better um, and develop average and better power once he matured physically. I say that happened, and they, they got that part right.
1: Yeah, I mean that just goes to show you some of these names we just went through really quick, but they could be the next Juan Soto yeah. or whatever you have it it's it might be a little hard to get excited right now yeah. um but that's what you can get out of some of these guys
0: and also good i mean just again goes like so what the nationals didn't get a top 10 top 5 player in this prospect juan soto was 25th in his right. class exactly and they it just got the 37th 45th and 46th guy you know you're just you're just hoping and praying kind of
1: and that's it's kind just of free for all too when it comes down to the rankings you know Oh it's yeah. it's not as cut and dry as it is with the first year player draft it's, yeah. it's very different
0: yeah i mean i know these outlets mlb pipeline baseball america they put in a lot of money yeah. and time and resources into the scouting of you know obviously the draft players but also the am- amateur free mm-hmm. agents in the dominican and venezuela and uh Colombia. um so you know we're not like discrediting them but it is hard it, i mean we understand how hard it is and it, you know they're not always going to be right. And it's fun to, for us to discuss. It's fun for Nats fans to discuss and baseball fans to talk about. But you just never know. And then we won't know because they're 17 and 16 years old until probably another at least three years when they're kind of mid-levels of the minor league system. And
1: you're relying on those outlets and, you know, scouting reports from teams to get information on these guys because we it's just you know, not yeah. feasible to really know a lot about these guys. That's right. what kind of adds an extra level of excitement.
0: It too. is. Yeah. So again, you're likely not going to hear exciting part is that, you know, we were very excited last year when they signed Vaquero. you're going to see him in Florida complexly this year, maybe even Fredericksburg at some point this year. That's right down the street. Well, right down the street, you know, an hour away from Nats Park. Right. So you can theoretically at some point, go see the top international prospect from last year played nearby sometime this year which could be exciting um and again he's one of their top prospects by baseball america and mob pipeline so um that's the exciting part and you're not going to see any of these guys that were signed you're not gonna see Ilian probably this year but uh maybe next year the year after that they'll start moving up the ranks
1: and then you can see those four guys in baseball america's top 100 too yeah so
0: yeah yeah well i I don't, I guess I need a Baseball America's login. I don't have one yet. Yeah, we
1: were talking about this before. We need one for all of us Yeah, so can get in. So I, we, I always, we have to go to see like who tweets the link and like, you know, replies yeah. to it. So we know what's on there because.
0: Osbros bros and the Nats podcast kind of join forces, forces and we all go halvesies or quartersies, quartersies. on a, a Baseball America subscription. Um, all right. Well, that's good stuff. Anything else? Great stuff. No, I
1: I, I think that's it.
0: All right. Well, that's a great episode of the Mass on Alexis podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to Brenton Mortensen for producing the show behind the scenes. We'll be back next week, every Wednesday, 1 p.m., on the Mass Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel. Of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can subscribe to the Mass and All Access podcast. At Amy Jennings News for Amy, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. And, of course, at Master Nationals across the board, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Be sure to follow for all the updated latest news on your Nationals throughout this offseason. Pitchers and catchers report in about a month. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. We'll have all the coverage moving up and a lot more discussions before pitchers and catchers report to West Palm Beach. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. And don't forget that the mass and all access podcast is brought to you by Toyota for legendary safety and reliability. Choose Toyota and let's go places.